snickering that, that way, okay? Genesis 10, and we are going to try to read the whole chapter and cover it. Um, one of my resources said, it is highly doubtful whether a sermon should ever be preached from Genesis 10. And they, they did say, maybe a Bible lesson. Well, I guess we'll count this as the Bible lesson side of things. A lot of it is names, and um, in fact, I think there's about 70 names in, um, in Genesis 10. But I think we still can learn a few things. It's not um, all theory. There are, is, is a few pieces of truth and fact that I think can help us in certain regards. So we will read all of Genesis 10. That is page number nine. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And to those were sons born after the flood, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tiras. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Riphath, and Togarmath. And the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, and Katim, and Dodanim. These were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone according to his tongue, according to their families in their nations. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Sabta, and Ramah, and Sabteca. And the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan, and Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginnings of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher, and built Nineveh. And the city of Rehoboth, and Kela, and Resen between Nineveh and Kela, the same is a great city. And Mizraim begot Ludim, and Anamim, and Lehabim, and Naphtuhim, and Pathrusim, and Kasluhim, out of whom came the Philistines, and Kaphtarim. And Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvidite, and the Zemarite, and the Hamathite. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were spread out. And the border of the Canaanite was from Zidon, as you come to Gerar, to Gaza, as you go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adma, and Zeboim, even to Laisha. These are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him were children born. The children of Shem, Elam and Asher and Arphaxad, and Lud and Aram. And the children of Aram, Uz and Hul and Gether and Mash. And Arphaxad begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. And to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, 
And his brother's name was Joktan. And Joktan begot Almadad, and Shelef, and Hazar Mavath, and Jera, and Hadaram, and Uzal, and Dikla, and Obal, and Abimael, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling was from Mesha, as you go to Sephar, a mountain of the east. These are the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their tongues, in their lands, according to their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations, and by these were the nations divided on the earth after the flood. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And as it is a bit of a unique text, we ask a special measure of your spirit that we would see and understand and uh, follow the principles that are here in this passage. We know that this is a history. May we understand it and believe it. We know also that there is a purpose for it in scripture. And we ask that we would see that and um, embrace the, the outflow of that truth. Thankful that... History is your story, it is your working, and we praise you for every decision that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, uh, this could be a short lesson. There's a few little spots in here that we're going to kind of jump in and expand upon. Um, obviously, these are names of different ones that came forth from Noah's sons. If you tabulate it up, and um, separated out. Japheth is the son that has the least mentions. He has 14 names. Ham, in the middle, he has 30 names, which is the most. And then Shem is the final, and he has 26 names. Now, who here is really good at math? Do we have anyone who's really good at math? You're a numbers guy. All right, let's see which one of you can get this first. All right, you ready? Here we go. 14 plus 30 plus 26. All right, all right. You'll get the prize, which is, good job, Jeremiah. Okay. He's used to, like, when you win it, you get a prize, because that's how things work in his class. But up here in the adult class, you know. All right, 70. And so uh, I think that is intentional. I think the writer planned to include 70 names. And um, why that is, I don't know specifically why, but we do see the name 70 repeated, you know, several times. Japheth is mentioned first, and his um, list has the least explanation, the least development. Um, and so we will look briefly at his. Um, and so that begins in verse 2, the sons of Japheth, okay? So I'm going to go through and kind of tell you what people think these names mean. Sometimes they're very obvious because of history that this truly does mean this. There's other ones where it's a little bit more of a, we think that this nation came from this name, okay? So, um, Japheth as a whole was a father of Indo and European peoples. So, we actually have a, a spread from Japheth all the way over towards India, and then all the way up over into Europe, and kind of to the north, we have the descendants of Japheth, okay? And um, each are, are linked by linguistic similarities, and um, that's actually one way that people have traced some of this back is through language and the language similarities. Um, so the first one that's mentioned is Gomer. And these we understand as the Germanic people who came from Western Europe, includes French, Spanish, and Celtic people. So Gomer would be the first one mentioned there. 
Next, we see Magog and Tubal and Meshach. These, we, we believe, are people in the far north of Europe, as well as the Russians or the Slavic peoples. We understand them to be coming out of Magog, as well as um, Tubal and Meshach. So there's several different ones there that we kind of trace those nations to. Um, Madai or Madai, this is where we believe the Medes, the ancient Medes and Persians, the Medes, we believe, came from this. And these are people that are now in Iran and Iraq. So, um, and, and some also see even the people of India included in this branch here as well. Um, all right, now we're on to verse 3. It says, in the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, that Ashkenaz, we understand these people uh, settled north of Judea. Now, some people use this term Ashkenaz, and they understand it to be people of Germany specifically, German descent. Others see it as people that live straight north, kind of more in the uh, fertile uh, crescent and off to the north and the northeast of Israel. Um, if I could just say a word about the Ashkenaz, there is a type of Jew called Ashkenazi Jew, and they trace their lineage back through Germany. And so that's why some people see this Ashkenaz as referencing the German people. But um, obviously the Jews themselves are not from Japheth. Jews themselves are from Shem. So it's a bit of a geographical marker, okay? And let's keep moving. Uh, verse uh, 3, we also find Togarma. We understand this to be the Armenians. That is not a reference to theology like Armenians. All right, Armenians are from the nation of Armenia, and that is kind of near Georgia and, again, Georgia, the, the country. Uh, verse 4 tells us the sons of Javan, and here we see, um, we understand, or some people understand this to be the Greek people, and there's a description that these people... Um, so notice verse 4, the sons of Javan, okay, and then it lists Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanans. And then it says by these. So verse 5 is referencing what we believe to be all four of those sons. And many people understand this to be the people that inhabited the Greek isles, the Greek islands like Cyprus and Crete and uh, Greece, and the land of Greece has many islands, okay? Verse, uh, okay, and then verse 5 tells us, divided in their lands, everyone according to his tongue, according to their families, and in their nations. Now, when it says divided by their tongue, that means divided by their language, right? And if you've been following along through as we've worked up, there's a little issue chronologically with this. And what is that? Chronologically, something hasn't happened yet. The Tower of Babel, okay. So chapter 10 is a historical record that, pre, it, you know, in the order of Genesis, it precedes chapter 11. But chapter 11 took place before all these people got spread, okay? Because chapter 11 is sooner after the flood. We don't know how soon precisely. But, uh, you know, they started, they stayed in the general area where the ark was, right? And then the Tower of Babel was built. Well, then it wasn't until after that that languages were formed. And because of the languages, that is what distributed people around the globe and move them out of that area. Okay, um, any question up through verse 5? Question or comment? I know it's pretty, pretty basic, pretty out there. Yes? 
Oh, I see. Well, we would not consider Noah to be of a certain nationality per se, except what family line he was from in the sense that when we charted out um, Seth and Cain and um, Abel, well, Abel didn't have kids, okay. Seth and Cain and then Adam and Eve's other children. So he had a line, we might say, and we would consider him more a family member. But we don't have the development of true nations like we understand of it until I believe after the flood. Like, so a nationality in that sense. Um, so I think we would speak more in terms of family for, for both Adam and Noah. Now, Adam, he was his own man, okay? He came, he was God's created one, and that was his only identity, okay? Um, so that was all we had there. Esther. Um, did you say he was the father of the Asians? I don't believe I've gotten there yet. Oh. I think that there is one further down. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's keep going then. Verse 6, and the sons of Ham. We have Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. And in this verse, Ham, uh, in general, here is where we actually get um, a distinction. The descendants of Ham are the people who populated Africa and the Far East. Now, some people would be like, what? You know, they're very different in appearance. Um, however, some people believe that the appearance differences that we have between different humans is not only genetic based, but it's also based on time spent in a certain region and kind of a, a slow um, adjusting to that area. And you also have to remember there's, there's crossbreeding and interbreeding. So it's, it's not like these are hard, firm lines as well. And so if early on you had very distinctive intermarriages going on in different um, descendants, you know, you would get a, a divergent characteristic sometimes forming that way as well. Um, so here's your answer about Asians there, okay? So Cush, apparently this family is divided into two branches quite early. And the first that we learn of Cush is in verse 8. It says, Cush begat Nimrod. All right, and we're going to take a little moment and talk about Nimrod in a second. Um, the other, some of the other descendants of Cush is believed that founded Ethiopia. All right, and the ancient Ethiopia is not precisely the same present-day political Ethiopia, but it is a part of Africa um, in that descendant of, of Ham through Cush. Um, now, Mizraim is mentioned in verse 7. No, where is Mizraim? Verse 6. There it is, verse 6. Mizraim, we understand to be the source of Egypt, okay? And elsewhere, that word is used of Egypt. Um, and then we have Put, we understand to be Libya. Um, and again, not precisely the political boundaries, but the, that general people group. And then Canaan. Now remember, Canaan was the one we talked about last week. Do you remember talking about Canaan? Canaan was this one that was cursed. And this curse was not put on Ham. The curse was put on Canaan. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. And Canaan, he and his descendants inhabited the land of Canaan. And that's one reason Genesis talks about this curse and talks about the wickedness of this people is because the Israelites would later invade Canaan, and God would give to his people the land of Canaan. Um, and we'll, we won't talk more about that immediately, but that is Canaan, okay? So let's look at Cush and Nimrod. This is down in verse 8, okay? 
and Cush begot Nimrod. Now this person in this big list of names gets some special treatment. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was uh, Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher and built Nineveh, the great city Rehoboth and Kela, and Rezin between Kela, I'm sorry, between Nineveh and Kela. The same is a great city. So we have about four verses given over to this guy named Nimrod. And Nimrod is called this mighty hunter, this mighty one, a leader, a ruler, a man of power. The word Nimrod literally means let us rebel. It's a word of rebellion. And so we understand Nimrod in building Babel to be what we might call, you know, last week we saw Ham, Ham's sin, or if you want to understand the story as Canaan doing the one that did this evil, Canaan's sin. But either way, we have sin early on. After the flood, there's there serious sin early on. But there's a different, some people sin, oh man, how can I describe this? Some people sin in a God-less sort of way. Like we might say, uh, I don't really care about God sort of way. But there are other people who sin in an anti-God way. In a, like, shaking their fist in the hand of God sort of way. And I feel like the story of, of Ham and Canaan, that is a God-less sort of way. Where they are like, I will do my own thing. But this sin of Nimrod was more of an active rebellion of, you know, take that, creator, and shaking his fist in the hand of God sort of sin. And so he's a rebel, and it says he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He began to be mighty over other people. And we might look at this as the first instance of a dictator, um, and it, it, he calls him a hunter. And usually when we think of hunting, we think of animals. And some people, many people, myself included, think that this goes beyond animals and that he maybe was a slaughterer of humans as well, and that's how he brought people under his power, was the threat of death. He's a, a mighty hunter, but notice it says, before the Lord. Isn't that an interesting little line? Before the Lord. He did what he did in the presence of God. When it says before the Lord, it doesn't mean before as in first, second, third, like order. But it's before as in the presence of, like he stood before the king. And here's this rebel rebelling against God in the presence of God. And God is seeing it and he is knowing it. And he is the one that is foundational for founding a place called Babel. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And from Babel, we get Babylon. And so this tower of Babel that we're going to look at in chapter 11 is because of this guy named Nimrod. And there is a rebellion, and Babylon has a place in the Bible, all right? Is there, is, is there some Bible stories that have to do with Babylon? Yeah. How about when the Jewish people were overtaken by the people of Babylon? Do you remember what happened in that story? What happened in that story, and we often don't think in these sort of terms, but just stick with me for a minute. Babylon is a, a representative capital of evil. And what is the resident capital of good in the Old Testament? 
Jerusalem. And so you have Jerusalem, where the temple of the Lord is, and you have Babylon, this seat of rebellion, founded by Nimrod, given over to idolatry, which we'll talk about idolatry in a minute later in the text. And the nation of Babylon, that nation comes and overtakes the southern kingdom of Judah, and they overtake the temple. And you remember what they do? They go into the temple and they take things out of it. They take the bowls, and they take the spoons, and they take all the, the hardware that was dedicated to the Lord, and they take it back to Babylon. You remember this? And you remember that in the book of Daniel, they are partying, and they're in their drunken partying, they're celebrating the gods, and they're dancing in their wickedness, and the king says, bring in, bring in the, uh, the things that we took from the temple. Bring in those bowls, and we're going to drink out of these bowls. And I don't know what they were drinking, uh, probably alcohol or even blood. Sometimes they drank animal blood in their wicked things that they did. And they're defiling these holy things of God. And it's at that point that the handwriting is on the wall that says your kingdom is at an end, right? And in the big picture, what we have is we have the, the forces of evil coming up and overpowering this place of worship of God, right? And they're taken to this false country, and that's why the Jews were crying and weeping and, you know, where is our temple and all this. And so we have Babylon winning, and then we have God allowing his people back into their nation, right? Do you remember when we get to the, the book of Revelation? We read about Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18 and about all the wickedness connected with Babylon. Who will reign the world from Babylon? The Antichrist. And so in, and when Christ returns, where does he return to? Jerusalem. right? And we, so, so in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we have an explanation, a little short little explanation, about the founder of the person who founded Babel and the Tower of Babel. And then later Babylon would be that city that would come out of that place. And, um, and so we have this short little introduction about this rebel who is anti-God, is opposed to God, and creates this place called Babel. Now, we also founded some other places, Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. But notice this, verse 11, out of that land went forth Asher and built Nineveh. Now, why would that be important? Does Nineveh have a place in the Bible? say, oh, absolutely, that's the story of Jonah. Well, that's true. <laughs> but later, after Jonah, the nation state of Nineveh would overtake the northern kingdom of Israel. And God here shows where that started from. And it's interesting to me that Babel, and this guy who started Babel, also founded this place where this guy went out from there and founded Nineveh. Both of these two empires would overtake the nation of Israel later in the history of the Bible. So God's giving a source. He's giving an explanation where these great cities and these great empires began. Verse 13, And Mizraim begot Ludim. Now Mizraim here, we had, oh wait, I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry, that was down to verse 10. Verse 11, um, all right, and then it mentions some other cities. Rehoboth, Kala, Rezin, Anamim, Lahabim, and Naphtuhim, and Pathrusim, and Kasluhim. Okay. But verse 13 says, Mizraim begot Ludim. And Mizraim, we understand to be Egypt. Ludim, I'm not sure why I don't have that in my note. Ludim, if I recall, was a nation that was founded out of Egypt. It's another African nation. Forgive me, uh, but I don't have the name for Ludim. Um, but the point is, even the Bible is sharing, sharing how this 
this empire or this family or this nation, out of this came other nations, right? So I know that some of this is very, you know, pedantic and sort of technical and sort of historical, but we do see some big picture things, and that is God recording where we came from. Each of us came from somewhere genetically. We each have a genetic background. There's the line of Japheth, there's the line of uh, Seth, and there's the line of Ham. And, um, and through these three, all the world was populated, and, and this tells us about the nation. We'll talk a little bit more about the nations conglomerately um, at the end. Any questions or comments so far? Um, Brother Matt will be first. Is there anyone after Brother Matt? Okay. Uh, could you just elaborate on um, what it means by he was a mighty hunter before the Lord? Because I always thought that the Lord approved of his hunting. Maybe I was reading it wrong. Okay, so you saw that as a positive yeah, yeah, thing? Yeah, I thought it was like, okay. oh, the Lord approved it like before him. But the way you explain it makes me think. I'm yeah, I... Yeah, I tend to give it a negative spin, I guess because of the other parts of what it says about him and what his name means and so on. Um, now, it is true that after the flood, you could eat animals, right? So it could be that he was the one that first perfected the art of hunting or something like that in, a, in an animal sort of way. But then it does go on to say, um, let's see here. Oh, earlier it says, he began to be a mighty one in the earth and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. So I guess I'm taking those two things with his name and with the fact that he started Babylon and I'm kind of maybe reading that negative connotation back into the word hunter. Um, so maybe it started out as a good thing, you know, and then it became more and more. Yeah, the shepherd. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Got off the, off the path. And with David, it was... With David, it, he was a man of God who had, you know, a sin issue, whereas this is more of like he's an ongoing rebel, you know. Um, the other thing that I will say is occasionally I've heard stories from, from crime and forensics and that all world about people that get into like torturing animals and then as they continue in that, then they move to humans. And I can't prove anything about torture or anything like that from the text, but it could be that, you know, there's a normal... A righteous sort of, you know, killing animals, feeding your family, that sort of thing, that's very legitimate. And I know it might not be your thing personally, and that's okay, but like biblically, the Bible says we're to have authority over the animals, and some people like to hunt, okay? But someone who takes that, and they push it beyond measure, and they start to hunt humans, or they, you know, take action against humans, that certainly would be wicked. And perhaps that's what he did, okay? So there is, there is some of this that's a little, you know, is this a positive, is it negative, is it neutral, that sort of thing. Just with regard to all of these names and, and, you know, I think of Asher who left, you know, wherever Nimrod, you know, whichever city he was in, right. Asher leaves and establishes Nineveh. And, you know, you have all these different individuals that we're looking through and they're just, they're just singular individual men who obviously had a wife right. um, because they had children and they, they lived their lives, and they kind of just lived day to day, and I don't know how many years they lived. Right. But, I mean, Asher, this one man that they mention here, mm -hmm. eventually becomes a whole nation of Assyria, a yeah. powerful 
you know, right. world power where it was, mm -hmm. and this city, Babel, eventually becomes a powerful world nation. Yeah. And, you know, it just started, though, with this one man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't, we don't know, I guess we, we usually think that God is coming back soon. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really think about what our legacy, what legacy we're leaving behind yeah. in 400 years or in 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. But, you know, assuming God doesn't come back, the lives we're living today, they, well, they make a big impact on yeah. the future. Yeah. And these men, you know, and their wives, they didn't know at all. They had no idea what the decisions they made yeah. and, you know, what the long-lasting impact would be. Sure. And in the short term, Nimrod's actions resulted in Tower of Babel and yeah, power. the whole dispersion of the whole peoples of the world. But in the long term, we have thousands of languages now <laughs> spread across the world. And yeah, and the chaos and the chaos that comes from that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, that just happened because... I mean, it wasn't only Nimrod. I'm sure he had other people who rebelled against God with him. But, yeah. you know, our actions and the, the legacy we leave yeah. can, can be very, very impactful in a good sure. or, or a bad way. Sure. And we shouldn't just think, oh, Short term. I have 70 years to live. Yes. That's all that's going to matter. Yes. Right. Yeah. And let me just piggyback on that with a couple other comments. Um, you know, thinking long term, you need to be careful what you're building and what you're tearing down you know, as a society and as a family in your own personal life. Because, um, you know, and some people, you know, they, and this is a very present tense New Testament sort of application, but some people think that they can build a great family and not go to church, you know. Or they'll, they'll think that, you know, I can, I don't know what it is, but they want to go accomplish something and then they neglect their walk with God, right. And they, they totally undercut the foundation of, what they say they're trying to do and they're prioritizing money or things or power or whatever over God and his plan and putting that first and Nimrod seemed to be a man that trusted in himself right he said I can build this and I don't need God you know I'll do this myself and he prospered quote unquote <laughs> for a short time right and the problem with some people is they will chart off on this off the Bible against the Bible path and they'll measure themselves two months in and be like, see, isn't this great? Oh, this is working out. Ever, this is coming, you know. And it's like, well, you're two months in, you know. I mean, let's give this a little more time. I mean, sadly, our approach is, no, don't give it any more time. Get back to what God says and, and build there. But building with God versus building against God, you know, that mentality, very important. Okay, um, let's keep going here. Verse 15, and Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. And then he's going to list a number of other nations that flowed out of Canaan. Canaan being the son of Ham. Ham was um, the one that sinned with Noah there, as we talked about last week. And some people understand that Canaan sinned, or that he was the product of Ham's sin, depending on how you understand that story. But the point is, Canaan, these are the people that were cursed, all right? Cursed be Canaan and his descendants. So his first... Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arbidite, and the Zemarite, and the Hamathite. And afterward, the families of the Canaanites were spread out. 
and the border. Now, it, this is interesting. If you're paying attention, he gives the border. He starts giving like land places to show where Canaan was. Now, why is this nation being described this way when all the other nations are not? Because that is where Israel is going to go and have the promised land. And so Genesis, we must read the book of Genesis in light of all the five books of the Bible because the first five were written as a unit. They're called the uh, Pentateuch, yes. And the Pentateuch were written pretty much at the same time by the hand of Moses, it was all put together. And Moses is writing this and he's laying out the people. Now I find it interesting, I don't know if you noticed, but the first part of the list um, let me read the first part of the list. Jebusite, Amorite, I'm not sure about this next one, Girgashite, but then listen, Hivite. Those are names that we find later. But we do not, uh, to my recollection, we do not find Archite, Sinite, Arvidite, and Zemarite. And yet they were descendants of Canaan. All right, so some people talk about the ites. And when Israel went in to take Canaan, they had a lot of people against them, the Canaanites. And it lists off different names. And some of the ones it lists off are the Jebusites. It lists off uh, the next one. Uh, the Amorites were definitely there. The Hivites are mentioned. And I wonder if some of these different descendants didn't fight one against another. And certain ones took over. And either slaughtered out the rest or intermarried with the rest. Such that those other tribes or other ites, so to speak, um, kind of ceased out before Israel entered Canaan. That's a theory, but... It's interesting that some of the names we find later and some we do not. Okay, and it gives the border there, verse 19, the border of the Canaanites, and it goes different places, and it includes as you go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then it includes some other ones. These are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Now, in verse 21, we pick up with a new... Uh, now, let, I'm sorry, someone asked about Asians... And we mentioned one source, but some people understand the Sinite to possibly be a source of some Asians as well. Um, again, uh, I don't know all the, the thoughts or the reasons for that. But um, I would have to think on that a little more. It's a, that's a descendant of Canaan, so I'm, I'm curious if, if they would perpetuate this far or if God cut them off. I would have to think on that a little more. All right, verse 21. To Shem also, the father of the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, to him were the children born. So this passage is telling us that Japheth was older than Shem. All right, did you catch that? Shem is the line out of which Abraham would come. Sometimes the Shem, those who came from Shem are called Semites. Um, and we have a large list here as well. Verse 22. Elam, many people understand Elam to be an ancestor of the Persians. Asher, we understand to be father of the Assyrians, as was mentioned already. Um, Lud, or Lud, was father to the Lydians. I didn't, never heard of this people group. But they lived for a time on the western coast of Asia Minor. Aram was father of the Aramaeans, which we also know as Syrians not to be confused with Assyrians, all right? The Syrian that is like Damascus, Syria, and Damascus and kind of over into Mesopotamia. Arphaxad is the one in whom we find Abraham and the Jewish people coming out of Arphaxad. 
Our facts set begot Salah. This is verse 24. Salah begot Eber, and Eber was born two sons. Now, this is where we meet another um, item. I skipped over one thing. I'm sorry. Verse 23. And the children of Aram, Uz, Uz, who in the Bible is connected with the land of Uz? Job. Job was it lived in the land of Uz. So um, we understand Job to be a Semite, but not in the line of Abraham, okay? He was, many people believe, before Abraham, okay? And this might be one uh, reason why right here. Um, okay, so we're up to verse 25, and this is the other thing that's a little unique. It says, to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. All right, the word Peleg means division. And what was this earth division? Well, some people say it's when the continent spread from one place to another. I tend to disagree with that. I think if that happened to happen with the flood, I don't see that happening later. I think the division that's being discussed is what happened in chapter 11. What division happened in chapter 11? The division of the tongues. And because of that, then the division of these different people groups out into separate areas. What this caused was people to marry their own speakers, right? And this is why you have, let's just think this through a little bit from a scientific standpoint. If the tongue division had never happened, all this big pot of people would have lived all around each other. And as long as they got along to some degree, they would have all married each other, right? And you'd have much more of a complete, you know, total melting pot, a truly full and total melting pot of, of genetics and of people and appearance and all that. But what you had was God broke the languages, and we'll get into that later, where he gave different people tongues. Very suddenly, they were speaking a different language. They couldn't comprehend. They couldn't translate. They couldn't get along. And so they went off in their own little enclaves. Well, what that caused them was all of them to intermarry one with another. And that's why you have this stronger genetic line that people have, right? Because it started not just with one person, but it's these multiple and ongoing intermarryings within a stream. And so it, it's what perpetuated um, similar characteristics, whether you think of skin color or eye uh, forming and height and all the different things. And so that's where the Bible lays out how we kind of got to where we are today with different people groups. All right. Um, so that Peleg, I understand that to be the division of languages in the earth. His brother's name was Joktan. All right. A couple other ones here. Verse 26, Almodad. Many people believe these are the people of Yemen. Ophir, these uh, many people are believing that they're the people of Oman or Omar, the Gulf of Omar. No, Oman, O-M-A-N. That is uh, an Arabic people group. Verse 28 has an interesting one. And Obal and Abimael, and what's the last one there? Sheba. And we read about Sheba in whose story? Solomon, the queen of Sheba came. And you remember how the Bible says it was she came from the south. And so we understand this to be south of Jerusalem. So some people go south and a little bit west, and they say she was from Africa. Other people believe it's south and a little bit east, and they go to south, south Arabia, Saudi Arabia, down in that area, um, as being the, the Sheba people. Um, it could be either one. We don't know for sure. Um, I would say more people tend toward the Arabic angle, um, but we don't know for sure. She came from the south. Um, 
And so Psalm 72 mentions this. The kings of Tarshish and the coastlands shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. This is prophetic of offering gifts to the Lord in the millennium. Matthew 12, verse 42 says, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the farthest parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So in other words, the queen of Sheba had heard of the wisdom of Solomon and that he knew the true God. And she made this great journey to see Solomon. And yet when Jesus came, there was not this inflocking from the farthest points of the earth. And it says she will rise up in judgment against them because someone greater than Solomon has come. And yet they were not flocking to him from the farthest parts of the earth. Okay, verse 29, we have a couple more, the sons of Joktan. Um, we have, uh, many believe that in verse 29, these are all referring to Arabic people groups um, with the sons of Eber and Salah, and then again, we have Arphaxad. So Arphaxad is where we get the line of Abraham. So this is something that we need to be clear on. Not all Arabs are descended out of Abraham's first son, Ishmael. Preachers have been kind of bad about saying Arabic people came from Ishmael. Some did, but not all. Um, like the Lebanese people, um, and there, there's others that we've mentioned earlier where they trace their lineage further back up through a different line. So, um, yes, some Arabs do trace their lineage back to Ishmael, but not all. And, um, and so that, that's just a little corrective that you may have heard that all Arabs came from Ishmael. Um, and let's see also in verse 29, one other name that we're going to recognize. Maybe you won't recognize it. And Ophir and Havilah and Jobab. Now this Jobab, some people think, is the name Job. And they would see Job as a shortened version of Jobab. Um, we don't know that for sure, but it is possible that that is Job there in that line. That also would help us understand him to be pre-Abraham. Um, as well. So uh, that's, that's, again, some of these things are just um, possible or best guesses. All right, a couple of conclusionary thoughts, and we will go our separate ways. Um, Jesus is Lord of the nations. You know, all of what we're reading, every one of these people groups is someone that God allowed to be born after the flood to inhabit a place. He gave them a language. He gave them a place. And in fact, I meant to read this earlier, but let me read it now. The Bible tells us that God determined the nations. Deuteronomy 32.8 says, When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. In other words, God gave Israel an inheritance and he gave other nations an inheritance. He gave Israel a language and he gave all the nations their own language. Acts 17.26 says this, And he, that is God, has made from one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined before the appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God decided their appointed times. He appointed their, like how long they would be on the earth. He appointed where they would live on the earth. And so every nation of the earth can point back to God and say, God has put us here. God decided that this would be our land. 
And when one nation overtakes another nation or wipes out another nation, that's because God has allowed it and their time has, has ceased. And so he appoints their times as well as their habitations, the Bible says, Acts 17, 26. A couple other thoughts. Um, Jesus is Lord of the nations. Secondly, this lordship is challenged by Babel. When we study the Tower of Babel, we'll see that the nations, before they were broken up, raised their fist in rebellion against God. Third, Israel was God's chosen vessel to the world. This text reveals the tracing back of the Semitic people. It reveals the Canaanites in specificness because Israel and the Canaanites would be in conflict later. And so this passage helps lay the groundwork and lay the foundation for that which is to come later in the book of Exodus. All, I also want to see here, God has always cared for and sought the nations. We don't always appreciate this enough, but all throughout the Old Testament, we find that God cared for the nations. You say, oh, but didn't he just love Israel? Didn't, didn't he just love the Israelites and he hated everyone else? No, that is absolutely not the case. Do you remember the story of Nineveh and Jonah? God sent Jonah to Nineveh and he didn't want to go, did he? That, na- that city turned to the Lord in repentance. And, um, and we know that, that there were some, and you know, trying to understand that story fully is a little difficult, if, if that was true salvation, or if that was just avoiding the judgment of the moment, or, or whatnot. But we see that God cared for that nation. Um, there's a lot of other examples where we can turn in the Old Testament. God has always had a heart for the nations, always. And there are times where his people didn't go to the nations. They didn't love the nations, right? They didn't have his heart. And so that affected um, the spread of, of truth and so on. But I, I'd much rather put the blame on humans um, because that's where it belongs. God's heart is toward the nations. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Therefore go and teach all nations. Every word that we just read, every nation... Every people group that we have read about, God has told us to go tell them the gospel. So Genesis 10 is almost like, should be like a prayer list to us. Lord, who has reached the people from this one? Lord, who has gone to this land? God tells us to go and teach all nations. I also want to point out to you that out of every single nation, there will be believers in heaven. In Revelation chapter 7, it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and families and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All nations. Did you catch that? All peoples, all families, all languages, There will be people from every one of these standing before the throne. And I love how they call God. They say salvation to our God. Our God. Certainly there will be Jewish people saying salvation to our God. But there will also be people from Greece and from Armenia and from Japan and from Sudan and from Yemen and every nation. There will be someone saying, that's my God. He's mine. He's saved me. Salvation to our God. So as we read through these, we certainly understand that, you know, we're reading through this in the context of Noah and the flood has just happened and this is kind of unfolding. But we need to connect it to the broader story of Scripture as well. That every one of these is a mission field. Every one of these is a mission field that some people will be reached in. 
and God cares for the nation. So I hope that is a help and a blessing. Genesis 10, I mean, we did a message on it, even though that commentary said maybe, maybe you shouldn't do a message on it. More of a lesson, I understand. Any final question or comment, Genesis 10? Well, with, with regard to Sheba, I noticed that Ophir, Ophir is next, right after that. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, I mean, it connects directly to Solomon as well. Oh. Since he got his gold, he got the gold for the temple. From Ophir. And do people know where that is? No. Okay. People don't. Okay. <laughs> they wish they did. Um, right. People have. Because they were wanting to get gold. It. They were wanting to get gold yeah, from there. They, yeah. They, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, Sheba, if it's the same area of the world, it would probably be Africa. Mm -hmm. um, That's a good point. But, and, and there has been a lot of gold, you know, yes. found in Africa. That's true. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting that they're directly next to each other and they yeah. do occur at the same time yeah. later on with Solomon. Let me share one other thing. In Matthew 12, it says that the queen of the south came and then it, it judges those, and it uses the phrase, from the ends of the earth. And so certainly Saudi Arabia and Yemen and that area, I mean, that's far away from Jerusalem for their day and time. But if you're really meaning the ends of, like, the whole earth, like, you get down to South Africa, you know, that's a whole lot longer to get up to Jerusalem, right? So if she were from there, and the gold was from there and all of that, that would certainly... Um, show the impact of how much the world had heard of Solomon, you know? So that, that's kind of beautiful to think of it from that angle that that is a long, long journey. And um, I don't know, I should, I should read, I, I, I did not read all of the details of the story of her because let's face it, if I, I, tr I was trying to get through this in one, you know, session. I wanted to have mercy on y'all because I know it's a little rough. Um, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of places in scripture that you can run to with some of these names and try to read up more and more. But that'd be interesting to look at the gifts she brought him and see if that favors Africa or Arabia, you know, to look at the gifts. That would be an interesting thought. So anyone else? Yes. So this, this is maybe a bit more of a loaded question. All right. But, Hit um, me. The, the descendants of Ham are those mostly who populated Africa. That's what you're saying, right? Africa and Canaan, but yes. And Canaan. Mm -hmm. So, and then the Jews are the descendants of Shem. One of the descendants. Yes. One of the descendants. Of. So, how is it this this idea that that the Jewish people were black, or that they are black? All of the, that whole idea. Mm -hmm. How do they? How does that, do you know how that all comes about if, if Ham, if the Africans have descended from Ham right. and the Jews have descended from Shem, mm -hmm. how, how does that, that crossover doesn't really seem to yeah. work very well? Well, there is the Hebrew Israelite movement that I have studied some a little bit and I know a little bit about, but I'm not super in-depth on all of that. There is a whole, there is even, I mean, there is a teaching that claims the Jews of Israel are not the true Jews of the Lord. And um, I personally have a real problem with that. Um, I, I do not think that is correct. I think the Jews who are in the land are the Jews of Abraham. Um, now not, they're not all there. There's some spread around the world. But um, I do not know how they distinguish that because the scripture clearly shows that 
through Shem came the line that eventually Abraham was out of. And Ham and the Canaanites, um, that, that is a totally different line. So I, I don't quite follow that and, or, nor understand that. The trouble with just going off of like skin color or appearance for these three groups is that you could have intermarriage very early. And even if you think of, you know, let's take Japheth, for instance, you have people all the way over in India and Iraq from Japheth, and you have like Europeans, right? So you have a variety of skin color within that one line. So that kind of thinking may have impacted some of the other lines too of Ham and, and Seth, uh, not Seth, Ham and uh, J uh, Shem, thank you, Ham and Shem. So um, it's not, you know, some people really like to be like, uh, the white people came here, and uh, Asian people came here, and the black people came here, and it's like, well, there's a little bit more nuance, because depending on what your terms for black and white, you know, um, it's not always quite so cut and dry like that, so. All right, anyone else? All right, let's close in prayer. Dear Father, we have been through a difficult passage, but it is your word. We have sought to honor it. We have looked to study it. We learned about Nimrod and his rebellious work in Babel, and I'm thankful that one day through your power, all evil and all the evil empires will be broken and will bow at your feet. Lord, we also learned just in a, in a brief little statement about how you divided up the earth by language. And we'll learn more about that next time. But Father, I, I pray that we will use language to point people to you rather than rebellion. That we'll use our lips and our tongues to point others to Christ. Give us a heart for the nations, Lord. Help us to care and love for all the people of the world. Help us to remember that all around that throne, there will be people from every tongue and tribe and nation and family. And I pray that in no way would our heart be, be narrower than yours. But as we meet people and as we interact with people, help us to remember they could be around the throne of God. And may we be a, a light, a, a light of love and a light of truth and witness. Bless us as we go out from here. We look for what you will do next. In Jesus' name, amen.